Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Thanks for joining us on the 87th episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we're, we're going to start with a stern demeanor, but we're going to brighten up as we go along. To help us do it, we've got our editor-in-chief, the thebirdright.com, the bird rights, excuse me, there's several of them, Ali Cosell. What's going on, sir? Hey, Preston, how you doing? I just think it's funny we haven't, or you were just telling me the other day, was it 24 hours ago, we've got nothing to talk about for a podcast, so we might as well wait till the end of the week. Well, you got your wish, buddy. <laughs> we got more than enough to talk about today, and to help us do it, it's going to be his co- Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Today, Kevin Berrios is at work, but we've got Crescent City Sports' David Grubb. What's going on, dude? Dude, glad to be back. It's been a little while, and, you know, I was missing you guys. I know. I think we are all missing each other. We need to get some more chairs in on these podcasts. Maybe uh, eventually we'll start doing like a Facebook Live and have four chairs next to each other outside the Smoothie King Center. Uh, maybe enjoying some of those those Dixie Light beers that they give away out front. Ali, you love those, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we get started, you guys, Kevin Berrios has a ticket giveaway that he's going to be promoting in advance of Sunday's contest with the Suns. It's four lower bowl seats completely free just follow his directions at kevin b for bounce in order to win the tickets i think you have to do some form of uh rating our podcast on itunes and then comment in the wildest wackiest way possible screenshot and send it to him and you'll immediately be entered to get those four uh pretty pretty nice seats in the in the lower bowl so uh excited about that make sure you follow him for that but I want to start today, you guys, um, with with things that matter. Um, you know, we're going to talk plenty basketball, plenty Anthony Davis, but just uh, just 
hear us out for a moment. We're, we're lucky enough to have this platform. And, and while the purpose of it is to have fun, you know, talk basketball with these guys and with our friends, we, we do have the power to be heard by, by you guys, our listeners, who are kind enough to, to listen to us. And we just want to take this opportunity to discuss the situation developing in Dallas. In SI's uh, newest article last night, there are some strong allegations uh, made against Terdima Ussery. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. There's an exclusive article inside the corrosive workplace culture of the Dallas Mavericks by John Wertheim and Jessica Luther. And in these comments, here's some quotes that are taken from the first paragraph. You're going to get gangbanged, he asserted, aren't you? And she said, no, the woman responded, caught off guard. Actually, I'm going to the movies this weekend with friends. No, Ussery insisted. You're definitely going to get gangbanged. She also goes on to write, it's a real-life animal house, said one former organization employee who left recently after spending roughly five years with the Mavs. And I only say was because I'm not there anymore. I'm sure it's still going on. Now, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Edmund Burke famously said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And we will not on the bird calls. This this style of behavior is absolutely abhorrent. It, it has no place anywhere to be 100% crystal clear on this issue. And I'm going to pass this off to David and Ali in a second. This behavior and treatment is absolutely unacceptable anywhere. If you see this behavior at the gym, at the Smoothie King Center, at your workplace, it's up to all of us to do something, to say something. This behavior went on for years, like the behavior at Michigan, the behavior at Penn State. Evil becomes strongest when good men do and say nothing. So it's up to us. It's up to me. It's up to Ollie. It's up to David. And it's up to you, the listener. Protect the people you care about. Protect strangers. Don't let this abuse take place near you. Don't let it take place anywhere. Ollie, do you have anything to add to that? No, you nailed it, Preston. You're absolutely right. The only way this this whole situation um, is going to get any better anywhere at any time is by action. And you're absolutely right. You've got to speak up. You've got to say things when you notice things. That's the only way you're going to be able to curb the violence and harassment against whether it's women, minorities, you name it. So, yeah, I've got nothing to add. Great job. David, you? Yeah, I just, I just think, you know, we, we don't learn the lessons. I mean, we can go back to uh, Nika Brown Sanders uh, with the New York Knicks and Isaiah Thomas and, and, and you know, Stefan Marbury and those issues. Uh, and it was a cultural issue there as well. Uh, something that that uh, was from the top down. And then you're seeing basically the same thing in Dallas. And, and it's always the same thing. Well, this is a lone person. I didn't know anything about this. That's what you get from Mark Cuban. Um, Human Resources apparently had, you know, dozens of accusations against this this man. And it never filtered its way up to the owner. Um, I, ju- I just find that, you know, hard to believe. And, and like you said, it's when you create a culture of either complicitness by being silent or complicitness because nobody thinks it's a problem. Um, this is where you get these things. And I think it also shows when you don't have diversity in leadership. And, and I mean that by, you know, if you don't have women in positions of power, um, just like you don't have, if you don't have people of color, you don't have, if you don't have a diversity in your leadership, it's hard for people to have the power to speak up in those circumstances. So I think it's something the NBA needs to address. But like you said, it's a societal issue and we really need to, to, to stop pretending that these things are just boys being boys or um, isolated incidents. This is, this is who we are in the workplace uh, far too often and, and it needs to be stopped. 
but there are some positives to take away from this. I, I definitely want to take an opportunity to applaud the players. Uh, the article goes on to say, while sources refer to the Mavericks' office as a locker room culture, the team's actual locker room was a refuge, says one female former senior staffer. I dealt with players all the time. I had hundreds of interactions with players and never once had an issue. They always knew how to treat people. Then I'd go to the office and it was this zoo, this complete shit show. My anxiety would go down dealing with players. It would go up when I got back to my desk. And that is something that is so wonderful to hear, so so wonderful to see on, on the script of SI now, is that these players in the NBA are, are not just wonderful people, guys that we love to, to admire and see from afar. They actually are building a greater society going forward than the one that they had when they got to it. And that's that's something that that fills me with pride and joy just as an NBA fan is that I'm watching these, these young men who are not only capable of doing remarkable things that I could never possibly imagine doing myself, but that they also carry with them such great hearts, such great demeanors, uh, such a level of professionalism that can't be mirrored by the people above them. And I'm sorry, I'm getting really frustrated. I definitely want to get to some of Mark Cuban's comments as uh, David was alluding to. I'll try to get through this quickly. He said, I mean, this is all new to me. That's all I can tell you. Um, I mean, the only awareness I have is just because I heard you guys were looking into some things and I started doing some, asking some questions. Terdima was hired before I got here. The assertions you made were news to me. I talked to our HR person. And again, after these came up, I was told that there had been no complaints since I bought the team or even prior to that, none. And based off what I've read here, we just fired our HR person. I don't have any tolerance for what I've read. I feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, my involvement was just on the basketball side. The basketball, the business side were completely different. It's just the truth of the matter. And there's there's more of these comments. He goes on uh, to defend himself. I had no inkling. Nobody said a word to me about anything related to harassment in any way, shape, or form. I eat, sleep, and breathe the basketball side. I can tell you the salaries of every player on every team and what their analytics are, but I can't do everything. And Mark, he seems like a nice guy. He's been a forward thinker, but that's not good enough. That's not good enough in this situation. I'm not saying that he did anything wrong in terms of his treatment of these people in the workplace, but not knowing enough, not taking ownership of this situation, not holding yourself accountable. I'm glad that he's saying it's sick to his stomach and that he's taking action and removing people from positions of power. But at this point, it's too late. You didn't do enough. You have to hold yourself accountable, just like we have to be held accountable in our workplace. And I, I just hope that everybody learns from this situation and the NBA as a whole and the world as a whole begins begins to get better from it. With that being said, if you guys don't have any more, we'll move on to Anthony Davis. Uh, here's here's a platform. Do you guys have anything you want to add? No, I think we can. I'm good. All right, let's talk Anthony Davis, Ali. He believes the New Orleans Pelicans could have reached the 2018 NBA Finals with a DeMarcus, uh, a healthy DeMarcus Cousins, I should say, in tow. Uh, he, he had some great comments with Rachel Nichols on the jump. And I, I don't know if it's a bit empowering or a bit concerning that he's making more of these comments publicly. Uh, of course, back in, in December, he mentioned winning 22 times famously with Adrian Wojnarowski, now talking to Rachel Nichols during the All-Star break and doing this fun interview with Carl Malone. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Carl Malone dresses up like a janitor and, and kind of uh, annoys Anthony Davis for the better part of an afternoon before finally revealing himself as the mailman. Uh, that's, that's a bit of fun. But Anthony Davis is making his 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 voice heard here, and I'll, I'll start with David. Uh, obviously, he's he's saying all the right things. He wants to win. He wants to do it in New Orleans, but he's also, you know, he's he's thinking. He's a thoughtful guy. He's a smart guy. He he doesn't want to get caught down that that lane that Kevin Garnett got caught in. He wants to win. He's going to try to take the team on his shoulders, a la Russell 
Russell Westbrook, who we mentioned in this art. What did you take away from this interview with Rachel Nichols, I should say? I think they're, the two main takeaways is, number one, that he's optimistic, and that's a good thing for Pelicans fans to hear, that he believes that that they're building a good team, a, a potentially very good to great team around him. The The concerning thing is, you know, people have taken it one of two ways. I, I, I don't think anybody would say that they legitimately believe that the New Orleans Pelicans could have gotten to the finals this year. I think their defensive profile alone shows that, you know, in the history of this league, teams that play defense the way the Pelicans do don't make it to the NBA finals. And even in the, in the era of super teams to make it in your first year of putting this group together is very difficult. Um, You know, people said that he's doing that to, to try to make sure that DeMarcus understands what kind of situation that he has encourage him to come back but I don't think that there's a closed line of communication between DeMarcus and Anthony that he would need to do uh need to use that public hyperbole and I don't think people who are serious basketball observers would take that statement and say yes he's absolutely right um because this was a team that struggled against some you know some bad teams when he was when DeMarcus was healthy this was he had a losing record against winning teams when DeMarcus was healthy so it's hard to, to, to believe that that team was going to get on a run and win a championship even if they continue to improve this season down the stretch um but I do think it's good to, to see Anthony trying to be a more vocal uh leader for this team uh I don't know if that's the natural evolution for him but I, I, I it's good to see him trying to stretch himself in that regard uh and, and I think that that overall can be a good thing moving forward that he's going to continue to hold the franchise accountable for building a team but it also seems like he's holding himself accountable uh, for his effort and what he brings to the table. Ali, I, I want to talk briefly about the culture of of the NBA fan and the media type alike. Obviously, the trade rumors or, or where a free agent destination is going to be going forward has become such a, a focal point of every storyline in the NBA. We we get excited when these guys flip-flop from team to team, when Paul George is on the trade market, when Jimmy Butler is on the trade market, when DeMarcus Cousins Anthony Davis. It, it promotes a lot of interest in the game, and it brings a lot of attention to the game. With that being said, we're, we're getting away from continuity by doing this, and, and we're, we're constantly having our superstars like Anthony Davis repeatedly prodded with these questions. And even Rachel Nichols is getting into it uh, in your article on thebirdrights.com right now. You referenced the fact that Anthony Davis didn't bring up Kevin Garnett on his own behalf. He was prompted with that question by Rachel Nichols. How do you think it's affecting I guess the overall game of basketball, but specifically Anthony Davis, that people are constantly asking him if he wants to leave New Orleans. I think it's something you've got to deal with pressing people by nature are curious and the media is just doing their job. And you have had, uh, you know, in the past where players have left because of, you know, unfavorable circumstances, whether the team wasn't winning, whether they weren't getting along, whatever the reason was. So, yeah, we, we, we live in this world where person this this type of stuff just sells. So you're honestly going to try and prod and prod and prod uh, the most famous, the most vocal, the most um, most the, the most famous faces that are on the billboards. You know, the ones that are on behalf of the NBA, the top five, ten players. So it just comes with the territory for Anthony Davis. And as I said in the article, I'm really not taking too much from this because I didn't find anything he said particularly enlightening. Uh, it's everything we've already known. He's always wanted to be a winner. He's always talked about wanting to win multiple championships. And just common sense tells you that as he gets 
further and further into his uh, second contract here that, you know, the clock is definitely ticking, just like it has with, you know, say Paul George, why he left Indiana, or, you know, you can make a bunch of other um, comparisons. So to me, it's great. You're absolutely right for the fans. Uh, it, it gives them something to talk about because let's face it, you can't talk about your same or your own team uh, day after day. Usually they're not at the top, like say the Golden State Warriors, or they're maybe not as exciting as say the Oklahoma City Thunder with Westbrook, George, and Carmelo Anthony. So you, you need these other uh, side topics, and uh, they they usually take on the bigger focus. But again, you've got to keep a perspective. I feel like, and I feel like that always gets lost. So when something like this is said, everybody jumps all over and says, oh, look, Anthony Davis, he really means it. He wants to leave New Orleans. I don't know how people make those jumps because it's literally not there. You just have to take time, dissect it, and see for what it is. And it just simply, he's answering the question where he uh, was kind of basically fed to go down that path. He really had no other way of answering that. So to me, as I said, Preston, this is great. This is fun. But again, I don't think there's anything really to see here. Uh, the good takeaway from this is, uh, of course, in his article, everybody's seen it by now. Uh, he says that we could have gone through the playoffs. Uh, no one could really stop us as bigs. We go to the finals if we went. And that, of course, is alluding to what could have been with DeMarcus Cousins. He said all the time, all the time, he uh, he wonders about what could have been. But he does see the potential there to to get to the finals with Boogie Cousins. So that should give every fan of New Orleans the confidence that, that he's not going to be requesting a trade at any point this offseason. DeMarcus Cousins is going to be back, and we're essentially going to do this all over again next year, putting the two guys back together, seeing if it can work, developing the chemistry, and seeing how deep they can go into the playoffs. Everybody, just just put the Pelicans on hold. We're doing this all again in 2018-19. Back to Grubb. Anthony Davis starts comparing himself to to Russell Westbrook in the past three games. He scored uh, 44, 38, and 42 game, uh, 42 points, respectively. And he said, it's tough. You've got to take that Russell Westbrook mentality and makes you think this could be the year. You don't know. The playoffs are not enough. And I'm, I'm jumping all over the place. That's on me right now. But uh, basically, he's just... Do you think that Anthony Davis is capable of taking that Russell Westbrook mentality and potentially taking, you know, 25 to 30 shots every single night? No, they're not the same animal. Um, you know, Russell comes onto the court and for 48 minutes, he's, he's in attack mode. And and I think we've seen Anthony, you know, there are those stretches and I don't, it's, I don't know whether it's by his own um, – decision making or if it's just the way the game flows we've seen stretches where he doesn't touch the ball or he's not shooting um and and I thought it was a little strange you know he says well I feel like I have to score 40 points a night for us to have a chance to win when you look at what the, the way the team's been playing lately and you 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 have a guy like Meritich and and you have um the bench has upped its play significantly over the last five games once everybody started to make that adjustment to Boogie not being there. Um, I just, they're not the same creature. You know, Anthony's goal is to be efficient. That's where he's at his best is, is scoring efficiently. Like, you know, scoring 40 points on 18 shots. That, that, that's an Anthony stat line. Russell's never going to do that because he's going to keep coming and coming and he takes the shots that he wants, or he feels like he needs to take at every moment. I think Anthony's at his best when he is trying to score in an efficient manner um, and, and trying to get closer to the basket. And I, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think, you know, that's the difference in their games. 
Um, and I think Anthony also can be a much greater defensive presence than Russell is because of his length, because of his agility, because of his um, understanding of space. Uh, and so I think that they're just, they're just not comparable. And I think it, it was a bad, not bad in a horrible way, but just it, it's, it's not a correct analogy um, as far as just temperament, skill set, and attitude. But you uh, like, though, David, I just wanted to say, you like to hear that Anthony Davis actually at least says it. You know what I mean? Because we have all criticized him for yes. playing like, uh, I don't know how to say, like a Robin, basically, where he, he likes the limelight, but he doesn't want to be the one to push the issue, be that aggressive right. guy, to be that type A personality. So for me, hearing him say it, actually, I took it as a positive because we both know we see it on the court. You know, and he's not the same player. But the fact he said it gives me hope that, hey, he understands what he needs to do. And maybe, just maybe, he will actually try and fall through a little bit more, you know, than in the past. So I actually took it as a positive. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying it was a negative. I'm just saying, you know, I don't see them the same way. I just, I just, you oh, know, sure. I don't yeah. ever, One, you know, yeah. the motor is different. Right. I yeah. just don't want to dismiss that comment, you know, just because that, that comparison isn't there, you know, for avid NBA watchers. That's all. Right. If he, if he continues this level of production last year, he averaged 28 points per game. This year he's at 27.4. A lot of that coming with DeMarcus Cousins taking a, a large portion of shots. But Anthony Davis, you have to believe going forward, is going to get a lot more of those touches and be able to dictate a bit more of what he wants to do offensively. James Harden leads the league in scoring right now at 31.3. Ali, do you think Anthony Davis could potentially 25 games from now be the, the highest uh, scoring NBA player, I guess? Yeah, I think he can end up as a scoring leader for sure. I, I, I truly believe he's going to average at least 22, 23 shots a game here on out. They're going to feed him. They're going to ride him, um, and they should, as long as they keep him in that role. And I know we're going to get that article about Michael Vina, but I think the last thing I want is Anthony Davis just to be hanging on the perimeter. I think now that you brought in Meritich, you, you leave an AD back in that role where he was so successful with Boogie Cousins. So, yeah, I definitely think the potential is there for AD to, you know, jump over a few people and grab that scoring leaders for uh, – 2008. What a nice transition. 2018. We'll sorry. <laughs> 2008. Close enough. Close enough. We're in the right decade. Uh, let's let's go ahead and transition <laughs> over to Michael Pena of Vice Sports. Uh, he says the New Orleans Pelicans megastar is already dominant. When he starts taking threes on a consistent basis, the whole NBA will be at his mercy. He's almost at 37% on the season, 41% in the last 10 games. Alvin Gentry told Vice Sports, I really feel he can shoot them. And if he can shoot them at 35%, then it's worth the shot. So I think that he can do that. It's just that I want him to feel comfortable in that situation. And if he doesn't, then he moves the ball on. He can do so many things for our team. David, there's a lot of positives and negatives uh, to be taken away from Anthony Davis moving out to the three-point line. One is that only 8.7% of Davis shots are wide open threes and 12.9% are long contested twos. So if he just took, you know, a step back and and made that a uh, a three-point contested shot, then the likelihood over the length of the NBA season is that it, it, it leads to more points and more spacing of the floor. However, you're taking away that that presence in the paint. He's shooting 72.4% inside of five feet right now, and it also takes away the, the potential to get an offensive rebound. What is your take on this article, David? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you have a lineup next year, let's say potentially of DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, um, Miritich and whoever becomes the other guard having Anthony out there shooting threes when we know that DeMarcus is already a higher three-point shooter we know Miritich is a solid three-point shooter 
um, and you need the spacing for Drew to get lanes uh, to the basket, it doesn't make sense. I, I am firmly for eliminating the long twos. I think those are bad shots. Um, but I think we, because his efficiency is so great within that 10-foot to 5-foot area, the Pelicans need to have that consistent interior presence. He gets them the easy baskets. And like you said, if everybody's out by the three-point line, and we know the team is already a poor offensive rebounding team. Having Anthony further away from the basket just makes that even more difficult. And rebounding in general is something this team struggles with. And it leads to transition uh, for the other the opponents. You know, threes are long rebounds. And, you know, DeMarcus is not an end-to-end changer. Uh, you know, Drew and Anthony are your best at end-to-end changing. But if, if he's on the offensive glass, you don't have to do that as much. So, I, I mean, I think he should take threes. Yes, it's part of the game now. It's it's what the evolution of the NBA is. But I don't see him the same way I see a Carl Anthony Towns or a DeMarcus Cousins. You know, those guys are better shooters from that distance than he is. And I think that the reason his shot percentage is, is relatively higher than it's been throughout his career is because he has become more selective about the shots that he has taken from three and he had, you know, I, I think Ali and I have talked about this a lot, that Anthony used to tend to lean back and fade back on his three-point shots or take them at, at times when they weren't necessarily the best shot to take. Um, but now it seems like he's just become more judicious in his, in his shot selection and it's improved his percentage. And Ali, what's your take on this? Look, I get what Michael was writing and then that any stat head would agree. Take out the long two of the game because it's just not worth as much. Go ahead and take that step back, shoot the threes. But I'm in agreement with that. First of all, Anthony Davis doesn't need to do that until he is comfortable. Um, I think a player as talented as he is, you want to live with wherever he feels most comfortable shooting the ball. We've gone through months where AD can't even sniff 30% from three-point range. So until he puts, you know, back a couple of, what, 40 percenters or so back-to-back, then, you know, I'm happy with AD shooting that mid-range shot because that still spaces the floor enough that still gets AD into the rhythm that he likes to get into. Um, And then of course, this talk of AD needs that last part to uh, become a true MVP candidate. I don't agree with that one bit. You know who won it last year? Russell Westbrook. Is he one of the best three point shooters? Is he ever going to be in one of those competitions at the all-star break? Hell no. And you go down a list of MVP players, you know, there's not that many three point shooters. I mean, you had Steph Curry win it back-to-back, and Durant is there, too. But outside of him, I mean, there's a lot of guys that didn't have that three-point shot. So I don't quite understand that approach or mentality. I just get what Michael is saying, but I think he just went too much of an extreme there. It would be nice to see AD develop that shot. Of course, that would make him the most well-rounded player in the uh, game today, but I don't think it's necessary. And think, it- Yeah, the biggest thing to me for AD not getting MVP consideration – um, is because the team has won. Exactly. That, that to me is the biggest issue. If they are a legitimate contender year in and year out, that's how you become an MVP candidate. And he's in mm-hmm. his what? He's in his sixth year, and he's been to the playoffs one time. And what Russell Westbrook had to do last year on a team that only won what forty-five games was average a triple double, do something that hadn't been done in forty years. But generally, the guys who win the LeBrons, the KDs, the Steph Currys are championship level, con- you know, contenders. Jordan, Carl Malone, whoever you want to pick, their team is in the hunt for a championship. If Anthony Davis can get a 50-plus win season, a top-four seed in the West, he will be right there in the thick of an MVP conversation. 
Definitely agree 100%. He has been shooting a bit more in the past 10 games, up from his average of two three-pointers a game and 36.7% on the season. He's at 41.2 and a bit over three shots per game. In his uh, past three games, he is eight of 13 from three-point range. So if he keeps shooting it like that, they are going to push him uh, beyond the arc. Let's get to our latest 10-day contract. This is lifted directly from the birdrights.com, an article put together by Ollie. The Pelicans signed uh, Walter Lemon Jr. The 25-year-old has yet to register a single minute in the NBA as his professional career has included stops overseas in Hungary, Germany, and Turkey, and multiple stays with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants of the G League. Jordan Crawford played there a year and a half ago, I want to say. After a long four-year career, career at Bradley University, though his numbers have never sparkled like they have during this season in the G League. Through 36 games, Lemon's averaging almost 23 points, almost five rebounds, six assists, and two steals. He was awarded the G League Player of the Month for November and is currently on his hottest streak yet, coming off a career-best 40-point uh, performance just 10 days ago against the main Red Claws. And Ali, Michael McNamara predicted this three weeks ago. How, how impressive is that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Mac's good for that. You know, he, he he loves to just look to see what the Pelicans can add, whether in the offseason or during the season. And, you know, he, he often has the right vibe. So, yeah, he's a good follow on Twitter for that stuff. But as for uh, Walter Lemon, I think it kind of came out of left field for me just simply because I thought maybe the Pelicans would wait or hope for this buyout mark and maybe they would want to pounce as soon as somebody would become available. Now, of course, you can go ahead and, kick a 10-day contract to the curb. But again, you're already spending money on a salary cap sheet that barely has any more to give before we hit uh, the luxury tax. So I found it a little bit surprising, but I guess what the Pelicans thinking is they've got a lot of games coming up and they're going to need somebody to either maybe potentially get that spark off the bench or maybe during some kind of garbage times, or they may be looking a little deeper and think this guy can give something. And what I mean by that is, the Pelicans don't have too many guys that can create, get in the lane, and uh, get off their own shot, basically collapse a defense. And this is something Walter Lemon is best at. When you look at his YouTube videos, he's aggressively attacking the rim. And I think he gets a lot of people off balance simply because he's a lefty, and he can shoot both with his left and right hand around the rim. Uh, he's not a great three-point shooter, but again, I don't think that's, you know, that's why the Pelicans honestly went for him, or, you know, it wasn't even a consideration, I should say. Uh, they've got DeAndre Liggins, for instance. There's certain roles that this team needs. And I feel like outside of Drew Holiday, who else do we would you say is the second best penetrator on a team? Uh, you can't really name one on a consistent basis. So I can see the thinking here. And it'll be interesting to see if Lemon does find himself uh, with kind of a develop or if he can find some kind of niche, some kind of role with the Pelicans during the games. Uh, Grub, we're going to talk about uh, how much you expect to see from Walter Lemon. Of course, the Pelicans uh, are going to have 18 games in 32 nights uh, starting on March 4th. I think about, I don't know, four games before that point. Uh, oh, wait, I can do math. 25 minus 18 is seven. Uh, we're going to talk about how much he's going to be contributing. But before we do that, this I, I'm, I'm not getting a good feeling right now about Solomon Hill and Frank Jackson returning at any point this season. A lot of people have already made the comment that even if Frank Jackson should return, he's just going to find himself in the G League and he'll be a developmental player going forward. And I have several thoughts on that as well. Uh, Frank Jackson, Diallo, we gave up four second round picks to get one guy who's giving us 12 minutes per game right now. And that in itself is frustrating. But even more frustrating is that we were hoping to get Solomon Hill back at some point in early to mid-February. And there there hasn't been a whole lot of communication from, from the Pelicans organization in regards to what his timetable is. 
Do you think there's a chance we don't see him at all this season? That's my feeling at this point, because there hasn't been any word from the Pelicans organization about his status, um, any updates on his timetable. You don't see him, uh, you know, engaging in in basketball activities on a level that would be, you know, preparing him for reentering uh, the 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 reentering play. I just I, I think they've they've pretty much decided that Solomon's not coming back. They just won't say it. Um, you know, I, I was also surprised at him signing, you know, uh, finding another guard at this stage, um, especially one who reminds me a lot of Jordan Crawford, except he doesn't shoot the three. Um, just an aggressive scorer. I didn't know if that was something that they needed, um, but, uh, you know, maybe Lemon will pan out. But, um, you know, one thing I will give Dell Dems credit for is the fact that he does tend to find diamonds in the rough at this stage of the season. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. But as far as Solomon Hill and Frank Jackson, I think, you know, this has been a, a lost year for them both. Yeah, and that's disappointing. And David, continue with that that line of thought. Um, obviously, the Pelicans are one of the better scoring teams in the NBA this season. It's defensively that they've been struggling the most. They average uh, exactly, and I'm doing this from memory, but I think they're averaging uh, 111.2 points per game, and they're giving up 111.1 points per game. And that is according to TeamRankings.com that I was looking at a couple of days ago. I, I don't know 100% that's right, but that's what I remember it being. And and yet, uh, they're bringing in an offensive first player. Um, I don't know too much about him so this is just of what i've read a guy who can contribute on that side of the floor and like you guys were saying break down defenses and potentially take a load off of anthony davis and off that bench uh unit but how much do you expect him to play and are you surprised that the pelicans brought in a a jordan crawford type player and maybe not somebody who uh has i don't know uh, higher defensive capabilities we should say yeah, I'm surprised, particularly because Ian Clark had been playing better as of late with more minutes. Um, so is Ian going to lose those minutes that he's been getting? Is there some, you know, some displeasure with his play that we just don't know about, even though um, to me he's been impactful, not just because he's been able to put up scoring numbers because he really hasn't put up great scoring numbers. He's had some, you know, some good double-figure games. But still, every one of the members of the bench outside of DeAndre Liggins has been trending upwards with their scoring um, since Boogie left. So I, I, I'm just really surprised that they went out and got a guard. And, you know, you, and even Liggins, we've seen his minutes start to decrease. Um, so if defense was the issue, and which it still has been, um, as evidenced by the loss of the near loss, excuse me, in Brooklyn, where you end up going to double overtime, uh, I, I just think I'm still surprised that they didn't try to find another either uh, post defender or wing defender to to try to bolster their defense going down the stretch. Because like I said, this 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 last 25 games is a tremendously difficult schedule. And the last thing they really need is more offense. Yeah, definitely. And it is just a flyer. So I, I don't want to say that I'm not in support of the mood. It's just right. a 10-day contract. If they don't mm-hmm. like him, they can make another decision going forward in 10 days. Uh, Ali, I'll throw it back to you. How much do you expect yeah. to see from Walter Lemon? Well, th- I'm, I'm glad you brought it back to me because I actually think Walter Lemon makes a little bit more sense than you guys simply because I think Solomon Hill hasn't been written off yet. Um, nine days ago, I was re-watching the Pistons game, and I noticed Joel Myers – confidently state that Solomon Hill will be back. Um, I just simply think the Pelicans is not an organization, that, especially over the All-Star break, that's going to make some kind of announcement this guy's coming back. Granted, it's going to be very curious to see what's said in practice later on today. 
So I'm dying to go and ask Alvin about Solomon Hill's status. But again, I don't think we can write him off yet. I've heard enough things to where it's just been pushed back. I think they're just being careful, but I don't think there's been any significant setbacks. Otherwise, I feel like I would have heard about it by now. So I'm still holding out hope that he's still going to come back. And of course, you've got DeAndre Liggins, as I just mentioned. Uh, he's still on the bench. So really, I understand you guys wanting more defense because of the amount of points we're giving up. But I honestly think this this team's best chance to win is having a lot of scores out there that can give enough defense through their versatility of switching to uh, cause, you know, create enough stops that way. I don't think this team is going to be capable of being locked down defensive, you know, not with Rondo out there. And I think, Grant, I know Miritich has done great, but he's no lockdown defender. So outside of Holiday and Davis, you really got nobody else uh, in that category. Solomon Hill would be if he was 100% healthy, but we cannot expect that for the rest of the season. So again, I can see the mentality of the front office as to why they went with Walter Lemon. Um, in, in addition to all these games coming up, he is a spark off the bench. I just feel like Ian Clark has shown some things, but he hasn't you know, David seemed to be able to put those games back to back, you know, that any kind of consistent results out of him. So I, I just think that the Pelicans honestly feel like they need to bring in that type, that Jordan Crawford type to give them maybe a quick 10, 12 points to get him back into a game or something like that and go from there. All right. We're going to talk uh, lineups in a second, but uh, should Ollie's prediction here come to fruition that the Pelicans are just going to outscore teams, it's it's going to spell doom for my blood pressure. I, I have such a difficult time watching these games where the Pelicans get up by, you know, 15 to 25 points only to see the the lead dwindle in the third and fourth. I just can't keep doing this, Ollie, every, every single night. Um, but but with that being said, uh, Ollie does make several very good points in that the Pelicans, uh, they they have one strong suit and it's scoring. And why not uh, ride with a hot hand, I guess? And if this kid is as good as all these guys are saying is at creating his own shot, and it looks like he's got a well-developed all-around game, uh, both passing the ball and rebounding the ball, then hopefully the Pelicans got a steal here, and he's still 25. So a a guy that the Pelicans can potentially develop going forward. But like I said, we're talking a lot about a guy who's got a 10-day contract. So let's move it right along. Um, Let's start this with David Grubb. Obviously, the starting lineup right now is Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Anthony Davis. And Emeka Okafor has gotten the the last two games uh, as a starter. And then you've got some kind of closing unit of a combination of Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Nikola Meritich, Anthony Davis, and then do you put Ian Clark there? Do you put Rajon Rondo there? Or is it a a game-by-game basis? Yeah, I think it depends on the matchups. And I think Alvin has done a pretty decent job of of, uh, recognizing who needs to be on the floor as of late. Uh, You know, the last two games were were very, um, I think, well-coached in that regard. Uh, you know, I think the one thing that, that I, I see that he's, he's adjusted is, is that third quarter and not being beholden to giving Rondo those minutes at the outset or, um, and, and he's also been quicker on the hook when, when the defense has gotten out of control. Um, I, 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 it's, it's just a hard thing to, to, with this team, with the lineups, just because they don't have guys, I think, the flexibility at certain positions that they'd like, you know, especially at the three. Um, that that still is an issue. So you're you're always going to be vertically challenged um, with this team. Uh, rebounding is going to consistently be an issue. But, yeah, matchups with the other teams, to me, are the biggest thing rather than saying these are my closers. You know your three main ones are always going to be Etwan, 
uh, Drew and uh, Anthony. But the the other two positions are going to be a little bit more flexible. Could be based on hot hands. You could see Darius closing if he's really in a groove. You know, you could see. You know, it, it just de- depends to me on on what's going on at, in the fourth quarter. Ollie, we've seen Etwan Moore get the hook uh, a little bit lately, and the closing lineups have consisted a lot of either uh, Rajon Rondo or Ian Clark, Drew Holiday, Darius Miller, Meritish, and Anthony Davis. Why do you think Etwan Moore has starting to falling uh, started to falling? Geez, I, I can do this, you guys. I promise. Started to think fall out of favor. Yeah, I think you're falling, Preston. Save yourself, buddy. <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah, or I feel like you know he was so hot in December, so his expectations went through the roof. Everybody's like, "Wow, look at this guy! What a great uh, player he's developed into for the Pelicans on such a good contract." And so people had the expectation he was going to be able to continue shooting what over fifty percent from the three point line, making consistently the right plays. And that was going to hide the fact that his defense was, you know, below average. He's he's being asked to do so much and guard guys that are bigger, heavier, stronger, faster than him. So now that he's cooled off significantly, um, although he's picked it up with his three-point shot here in this month, he's, it's been rare to see him have those consistent games um, back-to-back um, over a week, two weeks. Uh, and I just think that's who he is. He's not – we. I don't want to knock him because he's done great. He's exceeded my expectations. But again, I still don't think he's a full-time starter in this league. So that's where the conversation should start with him. And so he's being asked to fill a bigger role than he's capable of. And while he will try his heart out, and at times he will look like he can perform that role, uh, more times than not, chances are, you know, it's just not going to happen. He's not going to give you that necessary 15 points, maybe 20 on certain nights, and provide um, any semblance of really good lockdown defense and or helping on the rebounding glass. So, you know, he's got his warts present, and I, I just feel like he's become a fan favorite. We all love him. Uh, how can you not like the guy? But, again, because of that, he, we've kind of just glossed over all his deficiencies, you know, his negatives. And it's just now coming to shine. So Alvin Gentry is now rolling with the hotter player to finish games. Um, he will play like 30 minutes one game. Then as we saw against like, say, the Timberwolves, he played 12 against the Pistons. He played 14. Um, in addition to that, I think we've also got to realize, I almost forgot to mention this, was the fact that he has played a lot of minutes. He's mm-hmm. not used to playing starters minutes. So he may be hitting some kind of wall as well physically. So, you know, it could be a combination of all these things. But again, I think we should cut him some slack. And I love the way Alvin Gentry has handled him simply go ahead and roll with him when he's hot, when he's doing well. But if he's not go to somebody else, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, got yeah, I think outside of Drew and Miritich and AD, I think that's how you have to approach the entire roster is who's, who's rolling right now. Let me let them go. And then as soon as they get cold, Hey, let's try another guy. I mean, yeah, definitely. I was worried there for Ollie for a second. Uh, Kevin is very capable of calling out of work and calling in just to just to throw <laughs> down the hammer on any negative comments made about Etwan Moore. Uh, everybody is well versed in their uh, their love relationship, right, Ollie? That's right. I was careful. Kevin's not going to get angry for me saying what I did. 
<laughs> All right, let's explore this a little bit uh, more at the end of the uh, first quarter and then into the second quarter when Anthony Davis is is on the bench. Alvin Gentry's been doing some experimenting lately, and there's been combinations of leaving Drew out there alongside DeAndre Liggins, Darius Miller, uh, Nico Meritich, and Emeka Okafor, and then bringing back in Rajon Rondo, Etwan Moore, leaving out there Meritich, and then bringing out Diallo with Anthony Davis. What is your best version of those combinations? I didn't even mention Ian Clark in there. I got to put him in there somewhere. But what is what is your best uh, way of spelling the end of that first quarter into the beginning parts of that second quarter, Grub? That's a good question. Um, yeah. Yes, that, I mean, that's, that's a really tough question. You know, again, um, anytime Anthony goes to the bench, the first thing you, you wonder about is, you know, where's the offense going to start? Um, because Drew is really, you know, he's not an initiator. That's not his, his forte. He's a scorer. He certainly, we, you know, we know he can put points on the board, but initiating the offense and, and starting the ball with him is a little bit more difficult. What I do like is that Miritich has been uh, very aggressive. Um, and I like that Diallo has gotten more run um, because, you know, as much as he was frustrating for the first, maybe what, <laughs> 50 games, <laughs> um, yeah. I, 45 to 50 games as frustrating as he was, you can see that he's figuring out what his role is and what it is not. So I, I'm less, I have less fear when he comes into the game now because he's not committing as many um, stupid fouls. He's, rebounding more he's scoring around the basket on hustle plays which I think will will essentially be the the basis of his career um so I do like Diallo getting more minutes out there with um uh, Miritich because you need some balance um on the inside of somebody who will just crash the boards um and I do like I I still like Ian Clark I know you know people like to say he's not as consistent but I think, you know, he got his minutes were so inconsistent in the first half of the season. And now that he's getting in there, you know, he's able to create some opportunities for Drew because he is capable of getting in the lane. And that's something when you're going back to Etwan, Etwan is not a guy all who off the dribble can create for others. I think Eon, uh, Ian is capable of creating some shots for other guys. And we've seen that. And especially he's, he's, he and Darius seem to play well together. So I like that mix. When you have um, Ian, Darius, and uh, Czech out there with Miritich and Drew, I think that's a, a it can be an effective lineup for stretches. And Ali, what what's your take on this? Yeah, here's what I want to add. As far as Ian Clark, I, as you remember, Preston, to both you and Kevin at the start of the season, I said this guy was going to be our you know super secret weapon off the bench. I loved him, and you know it's been hard to. Uh, Stick to that theme because he hasn't gotten a playing time. But now that he has, here's something interesting, David. I don't know if you knew this or not, but for the month of January, he shot 18.5% from three-point range. Here in February so far, 21.7. The guy's simply nine. So as many times as he's been thrown out there, and he's gotten kind of a consistent role, you have to say, since the start of the uh, new year, he's just not producing. So I'm I'm worried about him, and I could, that's why I was kind of speaking more positively about Walter Lemon, and it made more sense to me. But as far as the rest of your uh, reserves and how you fill in for AD's minutes when he has to take that rest, I love it. I think you need to have Drew. Obviously, you need to have your second-best player out there. And then I think you need that combination, Miritich and Diallo. Miritich brings the scoring, brings kind of that toughness and experience as for Diallo get, 
brings you that athleticism, that energy. So you hope the combination of the two of those will provide enough scoring, enough rebounding, enough effort just in the pain area to make, or at least hold their ground. I don't want to say make a difference, just to be able to hold their ground. So I think that's it. You've got that key right there. Holiday, Miritich, and Diallo. And then hopefully you surround them with a couple of shooters like like Darius Miller, who um, I still think has to be a big part of this team going forward. And then whoever else is hot, whoever else you think is a good matchup, whether defensively you bring in DeAndre Liggins or for more offense. So, yeah, I think you nailed it for the most part. I just think, I, I mean, you got to look at what Ian Clark has been doing. And he hasn't been doing much. I get that. But he's been better his last five games. The last uh, five games, he's averaging eight point two. Yeah, and but he had strong games and two losses where there was a lot of garbage time. In the three wins, he hasn't done. You know. I mean, I, I see. You know, you know. I'm just. A, we, I've been this. I'm like, you know. You and I have had this discussion. I've been an EN guy all year. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. guess I've just continued to give him the leash. And you've you've gone to the other side of the converted, and I understand why. I get you. I'm yeah. just holding out hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, man. I love him too, but he's just not been producing consistently enough in these close games where we need those wins. It seems like he's only shown up in uh, the blowouts, you know. He, I remember him having a great game against the Kings, and like I said, against – the Utah Jazz and the Sixers here. But beyond that, what has he done? Nothing. When you look at his game log, you know, which I'm looking at right now. And it's kind of scary. So, anyways, back to you, Preston. <laughs> I didn't want to cut you guys off. You guys were having a good back and forth there. Uh, Grub, let's get some predictions. We've got three games this weekend. On Friday, the Pelicans have heat at home. That's how they'll re- return to action from the All-Star break. And then on Sunday, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks, and that will be in Milwaukee. Uh, I was actually in person alongside Ali Cosell and Kevin Berrios, and Grub was at home with a cold the last <laughs> time the Pelicans played the Bucks, and it, we we had a good one. We got to see a good one. The Pelicans came from behind and beat Giannis Atetokou and the rest of those Bucks, uh, I, they did have Eric Bledsoe at that time, didn't they? But then they'll have on Monday, they'll come back for the second night of a back-to-back against the Phoenix Suns. We're, we're coming out swinging three games in four nights, so uh, it's it's bound to be difficult, but at least we start with the Heat and Bucks before getting to the Suns, uh, who by all accounts are, are tied for – there is a six-way tie for the worst record in the NBA, and they are one of those six teams. So if the Pelicans can manage to survive against anyone on the – third game in four nights it should be the phoenix suns let's get some predictions we'll start with grub how the pelicans fare over these three games i'm gonna give them uh one and two i think they (laughs) i think miami i'll start break you're killing us (laughs) i know i mean i just this schedule is so daunting to me just looking at it over and over again and I don't the back to back actually worries me more than the uh Miami game. I think they beat Miami. I don't think that that's um for them because I think Miami doesn't do the things that you have to do to beat the Pelicans really well. Um I think Goran Dragic is, is you know a mediocre defensive player so I think Drew can take advantage of him there. Um and I think Anthony obviously can score on anybody so that's not really a problem. Um, and, and Miami's a, a decent team, but not a, a, a great team. Milwaukee's been on a huge upswing as of late. You know, they, ever since Jason Kidd left, they've been playing at a different level. Um, and I think, you know, Giannis versus Anthony is going to be, again, it's going to be something that everybody will be watching because that's that's just two of the premier young men, uh, young players in the league. But I think the depth that the Bucks have is a little bit better than the Pelicans. Um, they can be more aggressive. 
and you're flying out, you know, out of New Orleans, going up to Milwaukee off for one day and then flying to the you know West Coast for, for Phoenix. And Phoenix at this stage with Melvin Booker, who we've, uh, who we've seen, I mean, with Booker, who we've seen, you know, personally demolish this team before. And then you put a guy like an Alfred Payton who has something to prove. Um, I think that's they, the, the players on that team are so young that tanking for them doesn't really take on the same vibe as it would in an organization like Dallas. These are guys who still have something to prove to themselves as young players in the league. And I think, you know, the Pelicans have always struggled on the road. I mean, not struggled on the road. They've done very well on the road, actually, this year. 16 wins, the thir- third best in the West, I think, in road wins. But, I mean, you know, going that back-to-back, I think it's just going to be difficult. I think they could – I mean, two and one is possible, but I think that that back-to-back is just really the the, the, the part that makes me anxious. Ollie, the Suns have lost seven games in a row. The Heat are 30-28. and 28. They've not been as good lately, but like Grubb said, the 32-25 and 25 Bucks have, have really been playing well as of late. Uh, the Suns also look a bit different with Alfred Payton in the mix. He's been averaging, I think, like 24-8-8 eight eight in his uh, two games in Phoenix. Give us your prediction, and for the love of God, don't make it 1-2. and two. <laughs> It's not going to be. I want to go 2-1, and one, but you know what? For Kevin... But Kevin Barrios, remember how he was always such an optimist? I'm going to go say 3-0. and I'm going to go out there. Why? Because I think, as David mentioned, the Heat, the Pelicans can handle. I know that Spolster is going to have his team ready to go. That's my biggest fear. They are such a well-coached, well-prepared team. But, again, I just don't think they have the firepower to hang with uh, Anthony Davis and, and their strengths, as you mentioned, with Drew Holiday going against Goran. And I don't think they have really an answer for Meritage. So I, I see the Pelicans winning that one. Then the Suns, I, I think they're just going to roll over them. Uh, Phoenix, while they're going to have those energetic spurs where they look like some semblance of a team, you don't expect a team of a bunch of youngsters being able to put together a polished product for 48 minutes. So that's going to get them. And as for the Bucks, I agree they have been playing better. But you know what? I was looking at their February schedule. It's been a cupcake schedule. Atlanta, Orlando, Miami, New York, Brooklyn, New York, and Minnesota to start the uh, month. So, and, and, and honestly, they have, what was it? I think three, three losses thrown in there. So while they have pulled or won a lot of those games, they haven't been probably pushed to their limits as to where they would have against top-tier production. So anyways, that's what I'm holding on to. And the fact that the, um, Anthony Davis usually does seem to have the better games over Giannis in their short history together. It seems like the Pelicans find a way to prevail over the Bucks. So I'm going to go ahead and be an optimist. They need this because that schedule is going to turn much tougher. They're going to start be playing games, basically two games every day, it seems like. Therefore, <laughs> so they're going to need to, and I think they know that the coaches are going to try to create that buffer. They've got to come out strong out of the All-Star game, so or out of the All-Star break. So I'm, I'm going to say 3-0. Preston, first time this year. Excellent point, Ollie. I was looking right at this uh, Milwaukee Bucks schedule right now, and you are absolutely right. They beat the Knicks, the Nets, the Knicks again, the Heat, the Magic, and and then they've got a a tough slate of games coming up, so things could reverse very quickly for them. Sorry I cut you off, Grab. What were you going to say? I was just saying, you know, it's you look at the Pelicans' last (laughs) few games, too. It's not like you're talking about crushing world beaters, too. You know what I mean? It's it's you play who you play. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's that's just basically how it goes. So, I mean, it's you, you look at the Pelican schedule and we know that they they've just had these real problems um, with winning teams. And and I just you know, you get worried again. This is a team that only has one four game winning streak the entire season. And 
that was with Demarcus. So it's 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 hard for me to think they're going to win six in a row just because they haven't done it. I'm not saying they're not capable of doing it. It's just hard for me to say it. And so I, I tend to be more conservative with them right now um, <laughs> because we're still in a, in a, a feeling out process. Um, I want to see how they come back from the break. And, and then just look, like you said, I don't, we can break down the schedule a little bit. And I just want to say this really quickly because like the average team with last year in the Western Conference had 29 home wins. The low was 24. Okay. And the Pelicans are at um, 16. So they've got to win eight out of the, these last, what, 14 home games. Um, and I don't, I mean, 15 home games. I don't know if they can do that. You know, that's a really uh, – considering the schedule. And then the road – they're ahead of pace on road. So if they win three or four more road games, they're, they're – I mean, they'd be as good as the average playoff team. But it's the home schedule that really makes me worry as we go forward. Um, I'm not as concerned with the road, but these, it's, it's just – it's a really difficult schedule. And like I said, with the amount of games they're being played and the thinness of certain areas on that on the roster – if Solomon Hill can't come back, that's a big boost and it changes mm-hmm. maybe my thought process. But just being so thin and having so many games is just something I worry about. And Anthony Davis just said on the jump, he said, it's a game of runs. You never know. The run could start now. This year could be the year. You don't know. And that's where we're going to leave you guys off with. 25 games left, like Ali and Grubb both said. For the for the remainder, it's going to be wild. We're pretty much going to have a game every other night. There's not going to be any time for you guys to take a break or sleep or breathe. It's going to be Pelons basketball from now until mid-April. Uh, before we let you guys go, again, Kevin Berrios has a ticket giveaway. He's going to be promoting in advance of Monday's content test with the Suns. I said Sunday earlier, that's on me. Uh, They are four lower bowl tickets, completely free. Just follow his directions. Follow at Kevin B for bounce for more details on how to, it's some version of a rating us on iTunes and writing some wacky comment, taking a picture of it and then posting it on his Twitter handle. Again, that's at Kevin B for bounce. If you want those tickets and we hope that you do. All right. Thank you guys for joining us here on the bird calls episode 87. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to drop us a rating on iTunes, subscribe. If you haven't already retweet, we appreciate uh, all of you guys so much in that regard. Uh, Ollie's got some great stuff on the birdrights.com. Uh, coming up and some stuff that's already on there. Ali, anything you want to plug before we let you go? No, I'm dying to get to the, these next two practices because we need to find out about Solomon Hill and uh, whatever else moves that the coaching staff has in mind. And you guys can follow him at Ali Cosell. And of course, you can follow David at DM Grubb and at Crescent City Sports, where he is a contributing writer. Uh, anything you want to add, Mr. Grubb? Um. Yeah, I do have an article up right now um, about the, you know, the pressure on this franchise to do something after the, you know, this, this stretch run. Um, so you can go to CrestCitySports.com and check that out. And of course, it's always fun on game day to follow me and Ali and, and all the rest of the folks um, because we, we enjoy the game. And, and I think we try to give you something to not just uh, laugh to, but to, to something to chew on to about mm-hmm. the basketball. Before I let you guys go, just in regards to pressure, it kind of feels to me like 
the pressure has dissipated a bit at this point with DeMarcus Cousins going down and with some of the comments Anthony Davis made about, you know, just general feeling that he and DeMarcus Cousins could have made a run to the finals, even should the Pelicans, I don't know, go 0-25. You've got DeMarcus Cousins coming back. I mean, obviously not 0-25, some version of that, like 10-15 and 15 or something over the remaining 25 games. This, this season is potentially just going to reset itself again next year, and the Pelicans could just run it back with the entire front office intact, bringing back Rajon Rondo on another prove-it contract or something of that ilk. I, I don't know, you guys. Do you feel like there's as much pressure going into the offseason as there was last offseason? Do you think there's more, or do you think it's just kind of the, we're just going to do the same thing again next year? Let's start with Ollie. No, I, I think there's still plenty of pressure. Uh, Alvin Gentry's definitely still coaching for his job. Uh, same thing with Dell Demps. Even though they lost a player, marquee player, those days of where an injury, go ahead, let's reset for next season, days are over. Um, this team has got to make the playoffs. Anthony Davis kind of drew a line in the sand. Even though it's not new comments, he reiterated how he feels about winning. And if the Pelicans, you know, take a super nosedive, um, I think that could be a very, very bad thing as to where maybe DeMarcus wants or demands a bigger contract from the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. He's not willing to work with him as much because he realizes that it's just really he and AD and maybe a few other pieces like Drew. Uh, maybe AD loses some more, you know, even though he's got his buddy here, he's looking ever more closely at jumping out of the window, out of New Orleans window at some point. So I think, Preston, honestly, there's still a lot, if not as, as much pressure as there was at the start of the season. All right. Well, I retract my previous statement. Uh, <laughs> Grub, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree, too, because, you know, there are a lot of on-court and off-court um, issues at play. Like you said, the, the front office is, is working on its jobs. Um, I think missing the playoffs would be a hard pill for the organization to swallow again. They gave them the reset last year with the boogie trade, and I think it's hard to do that two years in a row and mm-hmm. justify it in a league where a lot of teams have lost key players for significant stretches um, and have, are still in playoff the, the playoff hunt. Um, I think it's about leverage with DeMarcus. If they go into a tailspin and you're DeMarcus Cousins, there's no way you take a dollar less mm-hmm. because you're saying, well, look, you needed me. And I don't care if my Achilles was tipped, ripped into 40 pieces. You needed me and you're going to give me the money I want. And I think that that's a huge concern. They have to, I think they have to stay somewhere near 500 basketball the rest of the way to say, okay, you know, we didn't have DeMarcus. But, but we we showed up every night. And they've got to beat some good teams. They have to show that they have the capability of beating some good teams. And they have to win some home games. I think that pressure is there, too. If you if they don't get to the point where they are, have, a, have a solid record at home, you know, again, that, that, that talks about who they are as a team. And there will be the same questions will come back to Anthony again if they don't make the playoffs. There will still be more pressure about will he get traded or does he want to stay? Because as close as he and DeMarcus are, this is business and friends leave each other. And it, it, I mean, we've seen it before and we'll see it again. So I, I think that they are under pressure. And especially when you look at the teams behind them, if Utah were to pass this team and Rudy Gobert missed the time that he missed, or if the Clippers p- passed them up and they traded away Blake Griffin and had significant injuries this year as well, there's no justification for the Pelicans to say that they didn't make the playoffs because DeMarcus left. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. 
Fair point. Uh, the Pelicans right now sit at 31 and 26. As soon as Del Demps gave up a first round pick for Nico Miritich, I kind of got the sense that his job was safe for at least another year or at least until the trade deadline of next season. And with that being said, if DeMarcus Cousins is brought back on a, on a one year or a two year prove it contract, and of course you've got the future of uh, Anthony Davis up in the air, how do you convince a coach to sign a, a three, four, five year contract here going into this offseason when there's so much uncertainty tied to a position like that? Obviously, there are a lot of young coaches in the NBA who would who would be thrilled with that opportunity that uh, that that one year uh, potential. Uh, I don't I don't know disaster or uh, celebration. So I, I do think at this point that Alvin Gentry and Del Demps are potentially coming back, even if the Pelicans should finish 41 and 41, which is what would happen if the Pelicans went 10 and 15 throughout the remainder of the season. Obviously, that would be disappointing, but I, I, I don't I don't know. It just seems at this point. Um, it just feels to me like they're going to run it all back. But you guys made excellent points, and I, I 100% uh, understand what you guys were saying. Let's get out of here. I'm rambling at this point. Uh, <laughs> it's been a good episode. Glad to have Grub back. Some great stuff from him today. And as always, Ollie's on his game. Uh, he's got some great stuff, like we said. Uh, follow us, Preston Ellis, at DM Grub, at Ollie Cosell. We'll have another episode for you guys probably, I would say, on Monday with Kevin. Uh, just recapping some of the weekend's action. Uh, action. We might even wait until Tuesday. Uh, depending on what happens. And of course, you guys don't miss our episode two days ago, uh, where we do some other uh, political debating, in addition to actually talking some basketball. Uh, For now, I'm Preston Ellis. Thank you guys for tuning in. Let's go Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you two. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.